أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان وبعد باب تعجيل قضاء الدين عن الميت والمبادرة إلى تجهيزه إلا أن يموت فجأة فيترك حتى يتيقن موته it's a chapter regarding uh, the preference to or the importance of paying off the debts of the deceased and the preference to quickly prepare the body uh, and to quickly bury the body uh, after death. Uh, and Noe writes this, he says, with the exception, uh, the exception of somebody who dies suddenly and unexpectedly. Uh, that person should be left for some time uh, uh, until you're sure that they're dead. Uh, this happens sometimes that somebody, the, the body will show the signs of death and then after some time they'll come, they'll, they'll, they'll come back to life again. This happened recently, it was in the news recently with uh, a person, he had I think a stroke or something like that, he was an older African American gentleman uh, he actually died, and he was dead for like a day or something like that. And then he, uh, uh, he, uh, he was he came back to life. Uh, he had no pulse, no heartbeat, none of that stuff. And uh, he lived for another two, three years, and then he like died, died. Um, this is known to have happened. It happened in in history. You know, it's not something that happens every day, but it does happen. So no, he says, don't just put the person in the ground right away. If if the person dies in a way that seems unexpected. But uh, once you're sure that they're, they're, they're gone and they're not coming back, then, uh, uh, then, uh, then, you can, then you should go ahead and bury them as quickly as possible. An Sayyidina Abi Hurairah radiallahu ta'ala anhu anil nabiyyi sallallahu alayhi wa sallama qala nafsul mu'mini mu'allaqatun bidainihi hatta yuqda anhu rawahu al-tirmidhiyu wa qala hadithun hasanun Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiallahu ta'ala anhu he narrates from the Prophet ﷺ that the soul or the, the soul of the believer is hanging uh, on debt, meaning uh, that soul will neither be, uh, 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 neither be given its proper station with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nor will it receive the relief of salvation until debts are fulfilled. Uh, that that debt that's unfulfilled with a believer, it will it will remain until Yom Al Qiyamah as a uh, uh, as a difficulty that 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 they have to endure, uh, not necessarily a punishment, but it's something that will be a cause of discomfort for them. Now, uh, there's a difference between debt and between sin. Debts are like obligations that human beings have to one another, there's a difference between them. So if you owe someone something, whether it is money or you borrowed something from them, you didn't return it, or it has to something to do with their honor that you spoke about them, you, back, you did backbiting about them, you lied about them, something, you cheated them somehow, you owe them something, whether it's something physical or whether it's something material. Um, those things, some of them have sin involved with them and some of them don't. So if you borrow $20 from somebody, that's not haram. There's no sin in it. However, until you pay that back, that obligation isn't fulfilled. When a person becomes a Muslim or when a person makes tawbah, sin is forgiven. A person is not a Muslim, they become a Muslim, the sins are, are, are all forgiven. But the obligations that they have to give to one another, those aren't forgiven. Why? Because they're not sins in the first place. It's just something that you have to give back to the person. So if a person, for example... I don't know, if a person uh, 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 you know, was a drunkard or was a drug abuser, and then they become Muslim, at saying, La ilaha illallah, that's all forgiven. Al-Islam Islam drags out all the things that, were, uh, that, that came before it. Uh, or a person goes for hajj, uh, and the hajj is accepted as hajj mabrur, then the person leaves from hajj like the day that their uh, parents uh, uh, or their mother bore them. Or a person uh, makes toba from a sin, sincere uh, repentance, 
then that, that sincere repentance obliterates whatever is there from sin from before. A debt is not a sin, though. So if a person owes another person $100,000 from before Islam, they still owe them $100,000 after taking the shahada. Or $100 or $10 or $1, whatever it is. Um, and Rasulullah wasallam, even though taking debt is not haram, strictly speaking, on the face of it, there may be certain types of debt that are haram, like you know, with interest, or if you're taking it needlessly, or if you know that you're not going to be able to pay it back, or whatever. Those types of debts are haram. However, uh, uh, in general, taking debt is not haram, it's permissible. That being said, Rasulullah wasallam uh, took great pains to show the Sahaba عنهم, his displeasure with people taking debt when they didn't need to take it. Uh, and so there's another hadith that, 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 that Rasulullah wasallam that we read from before, that uh, uh, he was told so-and-so pa- passed away, and... Uh, he asked, is that person indebted uh, in any way to anybody? And so they said, yes. Uh, he says, why don't you all uh, go praise Janazah then? And so the Sahaba whom were so disturbed that they amongst themselves arranged for that, that, that deceased person's debt to be paid. Uh, and then they came back to him and said, Ya Rasulullah, his debt is paid. And so then he came and prayed over them. Uh, because this was something very distressing to them. Right? In the salataka sakana lahum. Uh, that indeed your prayer is, uh, 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 gives them peace and tranquility. Uh, uh, the Sahaba, عنهم, they, they were horrified at the idea that, that one of them would pass away and Rasulullah wouldn't pray for them. Uh, and so uh, he used to like that, he used to make zajar, he used to deter and, and uh, show his displeasure with people. Uh, taking debt to the point where the Sahaba عنهم, would abhor debt as if it's something that, that's a sin or something that's haram. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons for it is that what? Is that a person, once they're indebted, if they die and they don't fulfill the debt, because nobody knows when they're going to die, nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow, the ability you have to pay the debt off may be taken away from you tomorrow, uh, nobody knows what's going to happen. Uh, because of that, uh, he used to uh, discourage them to the point where they used to really consider it almost a moral failing for a person to take on debt. Now, this is, uh, compare and contrast this to the way we live nowadays, where you know people literally, they will freak out if they cannot buy what they want right now. People want to buy you know, and live in homes that they cannot afford, and they'll take on debt in order to purchase homes they can't afford that they don't really need. Uh, uh, for most of history, people used to live together. There's a barakah in living together. Uh, 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 and there's a barakah in doing things simply. They used to eat simply. They used to live simply. They used to, uh, uh, you know, do things within their means and live within their means. And with the proliferation of credit, um, even if a person is able to purchase things without interest or in a permissible way, so people will ask, okay, is the mortgage from guidance, is it permissible? Or is the mortgage from university, is it permissible? Or is this halal finance thing permissible or that halal finance thing permissible? The fact of the matter is whether it's permissible or not, that's an important issue to talk about and think about. The other question is, is it good for you financially? Is it good for you spiritually? Because uh, once you take on debt, then you're morally obliged to be paying off that money more so than going on hajj, it's going to stop you from going on hajj, it's going to stop you from doing itikaf in the masjid, it's going to stop you from learning ilm, it's going to stop you from doing a hundred different things. People oftentimes, like they have uh, student loans, you know, um, and this is another thing, is, oh, Shaykh, are you saying student loans are haram? Forget about the fiqhi discussion for now, this is not a fiqh class. It may be, it may not be. But aside from the idea whether it's haram or not, you want to go and get your degree in creative writing from whatever uh, 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 liberal arts college, and you're going to graduate with $300,000 in debt, then flag it in the air for the whole, like the next 20 years of your life. Oh, I can't go to Hajj, I can't do this, I can't do that, I have student loans. Why couldn't you just go to community college for two years? What is it, a shame on you that you're going to go to community college for two years or that you went to a public school? Is it, are you ashamed of that? Do you have, uh, uh, you know, are, are you not going to be cool in front of your friends uh, that you didn't get a, you know, go get a degree in like whatever uh, drama from Whitman College, but instead you went to community college for two years and you uh, uh, had to sit and do a degree in something that's actually going to allow you to uh, have some sort of uh, means of livelihood that you can do what you're made for afterward, which is the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
No, you're going to get the degree from the college that will make your uh, friends happy and will make you feel like you're cool in front of them, even though they don't care about you and you really don't care about them either. In order to show off to your relatives that don't care about you and you don't care about them either, in order to show off to other people that you're going to randomly meet, to put on a resume that everybody lies about what they do on anyway, uh, and it's not going to get you a job. And even if it does get you a job, it's going to be used as a shield for you to protect yourself from any sort of spiritual advancement for the next 10, 20 years until you have to pay it off. Why? Just because you wanted to show, pe- show off to people and because you would have been ashamed that someone would know that you went to community college where, as the next guy is going to whatever, North, Northwestern or Loyola or God knows what. Uh, and the idea is that your shame should be first reserved for Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So if, you're, you know, if your name is like whatever, uh, Muhammad Abdullah Kennedy, then by all means go get your liberal arts degree from, from uh, Whitman College. Why? Because you're living within your means. You can do that. Your you know, uncle probably built the uh, uh, whatever back third of the, the campus. And uh, uh, you know, it's not really a big deal. And so go and say, you know, Alhamdulillah, Allah gave me all of this wealth and whatnot. And go enjoy yourself. If you're not within those means, if that's not within your means, then acceptance of the qadr of Allah Ta'ala is what? That Allah Ta'ala puts everybody in the place that they're in for some sort of reason. There's no need to resent or be upset about it. If it weighs heavily on you, be patient with it. Otherwise, if you have love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, be happy that He gave you what you needed and what you wanted and what's best for you. And trust me, interestingly enough, there are so many, there are so many people, right? They uh, go to school in a place that's not the most elite place in the world and it makes all the difference for them. Do you think that, uh, I mean, we know this is true both in madrasa, in the ulum, of, uh, in the madrasa, and I know this to be true in university as well that oftentimes the best teachers are people that nobody knows about. Uh, uh, they're oftentimes people that are not tenured professors. They're oftentimes people, you know, just because you're good at teaching doesn't mean you're good at research. Just because you're good at teaching doesn't mean that you're, uh, you know, good at playing uh, politics in the department. There are many people who are like the most amazing teachers. Sometimes the tutoring lab in the, in the community college, you'll learn more in it than you would have in the uh, uh, big hall in the most uh, uh, elite university where you have 300 students that you're studying with and your, your uh, you know, whatever professor is from a different country and doesn't speak English properly and views you as a nuisance and they grade everything on a curve and all of these foreign students with PhDs and master's degrees in science who have to do their degrees again because their degrees aren't recognized will end up straighten the curve out so that that person could literally lecture on Latin and Greek and still when the chemistry exam or the calculus exam comes up, still there are going to be people who do well on the exam because they know all of that from before. These are experiences that, 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 that we've gone through. The idea is if you have trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you do these things according to the advice of the sunnah of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا وَيَرْزُقُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَمْ يَحْتَسِبْ the person who fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah ta'ala will give them an exit from their problems and Allah ta'ala will give them risk and give them provision from those avenues and those quarters that they never accepted, expected. So the idea is not like, oh, I'm not going to take a, a, a loan. Everyone has to take a loan to get an education. I'm not going to take a loan and I'm, thus I'm not going to get an education. I'm pious because I'm going to work at McDonald's for the rest of my life. No, that's one extreme. And the other extreme is take out as much money as you can until uh, uh, you're a debt slave uh, f- for the rest of your life. That's another extreme. The deen is what? Every decision you make, is, it should be made based on, on what? Your mashra, your istishara, and your istikhara. Go, the people who got through life without, you know, get, got through their degrees without taking on debt, go find them. There are people like that. There are people who have gone through medical school without taking on uh, interest-bearing debt. There are people who have gone through uh, dental school, all of these things without taking on interest-bearing debt. Or there are people that, that will at least allow you to, you know, teach you how to minimize the amount of debt that you take off and how you can discharge it as soon as possible. Why? Because if you took on like whatever, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, khalas, you have a, a degree from Harvard Law now. You're the, the top whatever neurosurgeon in the world and you're going to get $200,000 for like a four-hour surgery, every four-hour surgery that you do. Um, and you die tomorrow. Well, who's going to pay that money off? And you're going to owe money to a bank and you're going to be inside of your qabr. Your mother will weep for you and God knows what's going to happen because Rasulullah wasallam said that the soul of the person who's in debt, that soul is like in limbo until that debt is discharged from them.
I mean, these are important things. These are important things to think about. They're important things to talk about. Strangely enough, people who are accustomed to doing things in cash, their life cycle, the first you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, it's definitely more constrained than other people. But when they get out on the other end of it, usually they're actually financially much better off. Uh, they're actually financially much better off. And how is, how is wealth transferred? There are a few people who will, you know, pull themselves up from the bootstraps, work hard and say, oh, look, I built myself up and I enjoyed. Uh, and those people are usually the exception, not the rule. They dangle that in front of you in order to make you happy with the fact that you're uh, economically being basically played a number on uh, by a bunch of unscrupulous actors. But the majority of people in the world that have money, it's because they inherited it from their parents and, uh, uh, and, and they were able to do business with it. Not everyone who inherits money from their parents becomes rich, but almost everyone who's rich has some sort of chunk of money that they came that, that seeded their, their wealth. If you do things on debt, you die, you die broke, you're basically, going to, uh, uh, you're basically going to have the deck stacked against the next generation, against your children, against your grandchildren. And many people have this idea that like, oh, I want my kids to work hard and, and not depend on like their inheritance. I want them to work hard and what that's wonderful. The reason I, I don't care about your children being able to buy a million dollar house when you die. That doesn't that's not the, the, the concern I have. The concern I have is that the Ummah as a as a as a group needs to have a certain requisite amount of wealth in order to be able to run the institutions that it needs to run in order to be able to build masajid, build madars, sustain Khalil Center, all of these other things, people need to have a certain amount of money in order to do these types of things. If we don't have them, then instead of coming to Khalil Center, then the people will go to another, uh, whatever, health, uh, mental health provider, and you don't know if that person is going to care about your, your deen or not, they're going to care about your akhirah or not. You know, there's not going to be a place where you're going to have Riyadh al-Salihin class. There's not going to be a place that's going to be able to accommodate that. Nor are the people at home going to be able to uh, listen to it on SoundCloud because the SoundCloud, whatever, subscription, there's no one to pay for it, etc., etc. Um, and for that reason, uh, you see that the, the, the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, those of them that lived after the Futuhat, they're extremely wealthy people, even though they lived as Zuhad themselves. They lived as people that took very little from the dunya. Uh, Sayyidina uh, uh, Anas bin Malik who was once shopping in the markets of Basra and uh, the shopkeeper like blew him off because he thought this guy's broke like look at the way he's dressed and look at the way he has no idea who he is and so Anas bin Malik you know he straightened the guy out it's a, it comes in the athar he straightened the guy out he said look he goes, don't just look at people and judge them and treat them badly just because you think they're poor and he showed, that, he showed him how wealthy he was. He died in, he, when he died, radiallahu anhu, he was extremely wealthy. But the wealth was for what? The wealth wasn't for showing off and you know, living outside of, their, outside of his means, etc., etc. Rather, it was you know, the wealth of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhu, the wealth of the Salihin till this day. The way people find out that one of them is wealthy is what? When they die, all these people come forward and say, oh, this person used to pay for my child's tuition at school. This person used to pay my mortgage, a widow. He used to pay for my health insurance. They, the person bought me a car when I needed one, etc., etc. And then there's no one there to help them out anymore. That's when you find out that these people had a lot of money. Uh, and that's what your, your, your money is for. Uh, uh, and so this should be a very scary, a very scary uh, hadith for all of us. That uh, it's scary for me when I when I read it. Uh, I said that the the soul of a, a believer is in limbo, uh, um, uh, uh, and that that the, the madar or the, the the connection of which way it's going to go has to do with that that uh, that debt that they have, uh, and this uh, situation is not going to be uh, remedied until that debt is paid off. That's why when you're you know when your family members die. It's customary to make an announcement at the janazah and at the tadfeen that if anybody has a debt against, against my whatever relative or father or whatever, then pay it off. If that person, sometimes those people that die, they have so little in their inheritance uh, that, that they can't, you know, the inheritance isn't enough for them to pay it off, then their relatives, friends, family members, Ahlul Khair should get together and pay that debt off. And it's hoped that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give a great reward for for those who, uh, who do that for, for their deceased uh, uh, brothers and sisters in Islam uh, because, uh, because of the, uh, uh, the, the kind of gravity of that state 
that that person will uh, literally, uh, until Yom Al-Qiyamah, be in a state of disturbance uh, until that debt is paid off. Or people forgave each other. People forgave each other. You can also have the debt forgiven. But uh, remember that uh, it is haram to take money by force. It is haram to take someone money from someone by force. And the ulama write that taking money by force takes many different takes many different uh, 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 forms. And so one of those forms is obviously like you stick, say stick it up, um, give me your, what's in your wallet or I'll kill you. That's what most people think of when they think about money, taking money by force. Islam considers like uh, 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 verbal and emotional attacks on people to be in the same category as physical attacks. So if somebody says, you know, somebody puts, puts his hand in his pocket and makes an ishara as if there's a gun, says, give me your money. Uh, even though there's no gun there, the person will be prosecuted as if there was one. Why? Because the threat is more important, the, 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 the threat, how it's perceived and how it's processed as an act of violence by the person who's hearing it, that, that, uh, that's what's, what makes it a, an act of violence, not the fact that you, you may have not had any intention to kill them ever at all uh, in the first place, but still that person is in the same category as the one who actually had a gun and was holding, holding that person up. The ulama writes, so much so, so much so, that if you ask these things in a majlis, like, oh, okay, mashallah, it's Riyadh al-Salihin, it's a sheikh, you know, uh, uh, Imran Qasim, you know, my whatever, deceased uh, cousin, owed Imran Qasim, you know, $1,000, Imran Qasim, do you forgive him? And just because he's in front of everybody and the embarrassment that it's going to cause him, uh, 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 if, he, if he refuses to uh, forgive that debt, even though he may need the money himself, that's considered a type of coercion. It's considered a type of coercion itself. So it's better to pay it off that person without any coercion or uh, without any uh, uh, you know, uh, dislike. If they forgive that debt, it's hoped by Allah, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah ta'ala will, will forgive them uh, and give them a great reward for it. Uh, but it's uh, just something to keep in mind that you don't uh, you don't you don't use bad means in order to have that person forgive the debt as well. Yes, you had a question. Yeah. Um, what if uh, the debt was like uh, here? I think with with credit card debt, after a certain time when they find out the person's passed away, they like they look for um, like in uh, probate court or whatever. Like let's say someone passed away and, and you know the person that like next of kin didn't know anything about uh, like a lot of debt. And that that just goes away, some like credit card debt. They stop pursuing it, and it just gets filed away somewhere. Does that still have the same like hokum of? Uh, yeah, I mean, the the idea is that once a debt becomes so bad that that they stop trying to collect it, uh, just the fact that they don't pursue it anymore, uh, uh, it doesn't mean that the effect of the debt goes away. If they forgive it, theoretically, if they forgive the debt, if they have like a a clause in it that if you die, we'll forgive your debt. Uh, that's one thing, but uh, I don't think that's what it is. What it is, basically, the debt becomes so bad that it, it's cost them more money to try to recover it yeah. than, than to, than to uh, re- receive it. Um, that's, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't help at all. That, that won't alleviate it at all. And uh, paying the debt is the, 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 the responsibility of the one who's in debt. Uh, it's not the responsibility of the collector to collect it. وعن حسين بن وحوح رضي الله عنه أن طلحة بن البراء رضي الله عنه مريض فأتاه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يعوده فقال إني لا أرى طلحة إلا قد حدث فيه الموت فأذنوني به وعجلوا به فإنه ينبغي لا ينبغي عفوا لجيفة مسلم أن تحبس بين ظهري أهله Rawahu Abu Dawood. Sayyidina Hussein ibn Wahwahin, who was one of the uh, uh, Ansar, ta'ala anhu, uh, and he uh, passed from this world as a shaheed in the path of Allah Ta'ala at the Battle of Qadisiyah. Uh, uh, it was the last battle that, that kind of broke the back of the, the Persian Empire and opened the uh, Madain, the, the imperial Persian, Sasanian Persian capital, to the Sahaba. Uh, he narrates that Talhat ibn al-Bara, uh, uh, from the clan of Asad, from the Ansar, uh, he became mortally ill. And the Prophet ﷺ came to visit him. 
And when he left from uh, visiting him, he said that uh, it seems to me that Talha, uh, uh, he, he's going to die. He's, he's not, there's really no, uh, it doesn't look like he's going to survive this. So uh, uh, when he dies, uh, uh, let me know. Uh, give, me, give me word so that he could uh, uh, pray over, uh, pray his janazah. And uh, um, he says, bihi fa innahu la musliman ahlihi. He said that, uh, and, and quickly once he passes away, uh, quickly uh, 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 wash his body and prepare it and then bury it because it's not proper for the, 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 the corpse of a Muslim that it should be held up uh, with the family. Meaning what? It's a, it's a sunnah. It's a sunnah that once a person passes away that they should be buried quickly. وزاد ابن الأثيري في رواية أنه توفي ليلا فقال ادفنوني ليلا وألحقوني بربي ولا تدعو رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فإني أخاف عليه من اليهود أن يصاب في سببي فأخبر رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حين أصبح فجاء حتى وقف على قبره وَصَفَّ النَّاسُ مَعَهُ ثُمَّ رَفَعَ يَدَيْهِ وَقَالَ اللَّهُمَّ الْقِي طَلْحَةَ وَأَنْتَ تَضْحَكُ إِلَيْهِ وَهُوَ يَضْحَكُ إِلَيْكَ And there is, uh, 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 there is uh, a narration of the, the story of the death of Talha that he did die, and he died in the middle of the night. And before he died, uh, uh, this is, mashallah, this is the, uh, uh, the, the adab of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum. That uh, Ibn Uthir narrates that uh, he died at night and he said that, that uh, when he was about to pass away, bury me at night uh, uh, and uh, uh, let me meet my Lord. And don't, uh, don't tell the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because I fear... Uh, uh, I fear if he comes at night, uh, 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 he's going to be attacked uh, by the uh, hostile uh, uh, tribes uh, 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 of Jews that live around Medina Munawwara that are hostile to him. That somebody will harm him on his way to uh, on his way to uh, my janaza. Uh, and so he was buried like that at night. Um, and then Rasulullah was informed about his uh, passing in the morning. And uh, he came to his grave and he st- stood at it. And the people stood behind him and rose. And he raised his hands in dua. And he said, Oh Allah, meet Talha uh, 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 laughing and let him meet you laughing. Meaning meet him, uh, 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 meet him in a state of happiness and pleasure with him and let him meet you also in a state of happiness and pleasure. Uh, and this is the adab of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum that uh, uh, imagine how much, imagine how much uh, uh, benefit there would be if Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam were to pray someone's janazah. And how much of an honor it would be for them to pray that, the, someone's janazah. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam even said, tell me when he dies so I can come and be in his janazah. But he, Talhat ibn al-Bara radiallahu anhu, his adab with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was such that he cared more for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa well-being than he did for his own. And this is a recurring theme in the, uh, uh, the life of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum and their relationship with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That, uh, 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 you know, someone is about to be executed and the mushrikeen asked them, wouldn't you prefer that Muhammad be in your place uh, right now that you're about to now that you're about to die? Alayhi salatu And they say, Wallahi, I would rather I would rather die than even a thorn go into his foot, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And a person thinks about like, oh well, if you know, uh, if Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam comes to my janazah, I'll be forgiven, I'll get this benefit, I'll get that benefit, I'll get the other benefit. But the Sahaba radiallahu anhum had common sense in the sense that they knew that uh, uh, the asal of iman has to do with loving Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam more than you love yourself. And so if a person can imagine what the benefit of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam's praying your janazah is, 
um, and they know that this is something that's of a higher priority, then whether or not they know what specific reward you're going to receive for, uh, uh, for, for you know, sparing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from going through taklif, you know it will be bigger than whatever reward you, you know about. Why? Because uh, 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 submission is always, uh, um, always rewarded better than, than uh, trying to uh, think through things on your own. And this is, this is the epitome of adab that uh, a person should have with other people, that they should never want another to go through difficulty for them. That they should have sabr and patience and they should take difficulty on themselves rather than inflicting difficulty on somebody else. And you see even Rasulullah wasallam. first of all, he didn't, you know, if that person had did something wrong, because they're going to say, well, uh, why didn't they tell Rasulullah why did they listen to this Talha instead of listening to the Prophet because the Prophet said inform me and Talha said don't inform him is this the sign that the Sahaba are like some sort of conspiratorial munafiqeen or something like that hypocrites that they don't listen to what his command is or what he has to say absolutely not and the proof of that is that Rasulullah he didn't he didn't in the narration say why did you do this? He didn't zajar uh, 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 or he didn't uh, uh, tell them, you know, you did wrong or you should have listened to me. He didn't say anything to them that, that, that indicated his displeasure. Because Rasulullah doesn't bear witness to batil. Rather, uh, what did he do? He went and he made dua at the qabr of, of, of uh, Talhat ibn al-Bara'a. And such a dua, any of us would would say that this is, this is like, you know, this would make our entire dunya and akhirah if Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi made this dua for us. Because his dua is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that the person who Allah ta'ala meets and he's happy with, and that person meets Allah ta'ala and they're happy with them, you don't have to ask for the details, you know it's going to be good. Uh, uh, and so this is uh, 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 also another uh, important lesson, because oftentimes we're like, oh, well, I want this, I want that, we think about ourselves, 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 by trying to uh, 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 procure honors and benefits for ourselves, we oftentimes miss the bigger picture, which is uh, that through the service of others and, and being careful about not harming or giving uh, taklif to other people, uh, uh, we will ourselves garner much more benefit than, than we would have had we been selfish. When Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu so this is the, the end of this previous chapter. Babu al-Mu'idhati عند al-Qabri. It's a chapter regarding uh, giving exhortation, righteous exhortation uh, at the, at, in the graveyard. Babu al-Mu'idhati عند al-Qabri. A chapter of giving righteous exhortation uh, in the place of burial. An Ali radiallahu anhu qala kunna fi janazatin fi baqi'i al-gharqadi فَأَتَعْنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ فَقَعَدَ وَقَعَدْنَا حَوْلَهُ وَمَعَهُ مِخْضَرَةٌ فَنَكَّسَ وَجَعَلَ يَنْكُتُ بِمِخْضَرَتِهِ ثُمَّ قَالَ مَا مِنْكُمْ مِنْ أَحَدٍ إِلَّا وَقَدْ كُتِبَ مَقْعَدُتٌ أو أفن مَقْعَدُهُ مِنَ النَّارِ وَمَقْعَدُهُ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ فَقَالُوا يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ أَفَلَا نَتَّكِلُ عَلَى كِتَابِنَا فَقَالَ عَمَلُوا فَكُلٌّ مُيَسَّرٌ لِمَا خُلِقَ لَهُ وَذَكَرَ تَمَامَ الْحَدِيثِ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ Sayyidina Ali رضي الله تعالى عنه He said, we uh, were in the Baqi' The Baqi' is the uh, graveyard of Medina Munawwara The Baqi' Al-Gharqad uh, Which is the graveyard, it's still there uh, uh, Although uh, uh, there's no tree, trees in it anymore I guess But uh, uh, he says that we were in the, the Baqi'ul Gharqad uh, following a janaza uh, and the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came to us and he sat and we sat down around him and he had a stick uh, uh, in his hand Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he started making dots in the, in the, in the sand uh, uh, with his stick and he had his head bowed down he bowed his head down and he started making uh, dots in the sand with his stick uh, and then he said, there's nobody uh, 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 amongst you except for Allah Ta'ala has written for them a specific place both in the fire and a specific place uh, of abode in Jannah. And uh, the people asked him, asked the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, afala natakilu ala kitabina? 
Uh, he said, Ya Rasulullah, should we not then just, uh, uh, you know, uh, give up and know that whatever Allah has written for us is what we're going to get? Uh, he said, no. He said, rather, uh, keep, doing, keep doing deeds because everybody uh, will find a path p- facilitated uh, uh, to fulfill whatever they are created for. Uh, and this is part of the hadith uh, uh, and the... The, the rest of the hadith is uh, uh, mentioned uh, 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 it's mentioned in the, the books that it's narrated in uh, and it's mentioned in the narration of Bukhari uh, uh, ثم قرأ فأما من أعطي واتقى وصدق بالحسنى فسنيسره لليسرى وأما من بخل واستغنى وكذب بالحسنى فسنيسره للعسرى The rest of the narration from Bukhari is that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said As for the people of happiness, of eternal happiness uh, they, are, uh, they are facilitated to do the deeds of the people of eternal happiness and as for the people of eternal wretchedness, uh, a path is facilitated for them to do the deeds of the people of wretchedness. And then Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi read from Surah Al-Layl, as for the one who gives and fears Allah and 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 gives charity, in a, 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 sorry, not gives charity, and uh, believes as true or holds as true this revelation in a good way, we will make easy for them a path to uh, a, a beautiful end. Uh, sorry, a path to a, 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 an end which is uh, one of ease. And as for the one who uh, 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 is miserly and pretends like they don't need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, disbelieves in this, uh, uh, in this revelation in a good way. Meaning what? What does it mean to disbelieve in the revelation in a good way? Obviously there's haqiqatan, there's no way of disbelieving in it. But... In reality, it's all, it's all nonsense, it's all bogus. But there are some people, you'll see that they speak really eloquently, they have very delicate manners, they're very nice people, they uh, dress very well, they have good businesses, you know, their children seem to be good, everything about them seems good. Uh, but at the core of it, it's rotten in the, in the sense that they turn their back on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? We're people as, as Muslims... We look at what is the foundation of, uh, of all matters. If the foundation is good, then there's a chance that something good will come from it. If the foundation is bad, if everything else on top of it is good, it's still all going to crumble. If you have 20 steps, uh, 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 20 steps of, uh, of action that you're going to do, and 19 of them are very enjoyable and the last one is bad, what's our aqidah? Our aqidah is al-umuru bil khawatim. All matters, the quality of all matters is to be ascertained by the way they end uh, it's an it's an important thing it's an important uh, it's an important thing to understand it's an important precept to understand like, we're, like for example we were talking about debt so for example you buy a house on a mortgage whether it's halal or otherwise if you were to pay for the house in cash how much would you pay a hundred thousand dollars if you were to buy, get it on a mortgage, how much would you pay? $350,000. So you know, this is, not, this is not good. There may be some other circumstance that forces you to purchase on that mortgage. But you know, once you know that the end of this thing is not good, then the logic of Iman is what? Is that it's not worth doing. This has to do with who you make friends with. This has to do with who you marry. This has to do with uh, 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 what career path you have. This has to do with which neighborhood you buy your house in. This has to do with all of these things. If the end of something is not useful, then what's the point? So, وَكَذَّبَ uh, بِالْحُسْنَى uh, uh, That that person, they disbelieve and they show their disbelief in a beautiful way. فَسَنُيَسِرُهُ لِلْعُسْرَى We'll make easy for them the path toward difficulty. And there's no difficulty that's uh, that's uh, more horrible and horrifying than the, the, the hellfire. Uh, and so Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he shows a point, this is something that comes up because we teach aqidah in different places, it comes up again and again, that uh, 
it comes up again and again that babysit in the back, go to mama, go. Baby, go, mama. Thank you. The, uh, uh, this comes up again and again in the Aqidah class, which is the issue regarding free will and predestination. And the simple, the simple way of looking at this issue is that from your own intuition, it feels like what you do every day is that you have free will in all matters. You're the one who creates your destiny. You have that feeling inside of you, right? That if I, usually when I want to do something good, something good happens. And when I want to do something bad, something bad happens. So you should go about your day choosing the thing that you want. At the same time, it should be easy for you to understand that Allah Ta'ala who created the heavens and the earth from nothing knew everything that was going to happen before it happened and nothing can happen without His allowing it to happen. How these two things are true at the same time, it's not, not really any of your... Uh, it's, not any, it's not something that you, you need to know. It's not going to... A, you're never going to be able to understand it and B, it's not... Even if you did understand it theoretically which you're not going to be able to, it's impossible to understand why Allah Ta'ala does what He does. Right? Just like the, the table cannot understand why the carpenter does what, what it does, or more so than that. Uh, but you're not going to be able to understand, even in, if you were to suspend your rational faculty and say, okay, I, you know, even if I did understand, if you suspend your rational faculty and say, even if I did understand, it actually doesn't help you do anything any different. It doesn't change the way you go about your life. Uh, so the, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum asked, if already Allah Ta'ala has written for us a place in the fire and a place in Jannah and He already knows which one we're going to, then, uh, uh, you know, should we not just like, why should we struggle so much in order to try to go to one or the other? Should we not just relax and just say whatever Allah wrote for us, that's what's going to happen? And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, no. Uh, rather keep doing what, what, what you feel like is the best course of action because Allah Ta'ala will make easy for every person uh, uh, a path toward that end that Allah Ta'ala created for them. And this is something that, that's uh, mentioned again and again uh, in the Athar of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that every person who ha- went, goes to Jannah, there is a place for them written in the fire as well. And everyone who goes to the fire, there's a place for them written for them in Jannah because every soul had the potentiality of going toward one or the other. Uh, even though Allah Ta'ala knew who was going to choose what, uh, every soul also desired to go there. You, in parallel, also were created for the place that you end up, and you deserve it. And you deserve it. Uh, uh, the people of Jahannam definitely deserve it. If, even if the people of uh, Jannah, uh, they enter through Allah's grace, nobody enters into Jahannam except for through Allah Ta'ala's justice. This is the meaning of uh, 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 the, the kalam of Allah Ta'ala in Surah Al-Mu'minun, أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْوَارِثُونَ الَّذِينَ يَرِثُونَ الْفِرْدَوْسَهُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ that those people are the inheritors. The, the people of Jannah, the believers, those are the inheritors, the ones that inherit uh, uh, paradise. Uh, uh, they will live therein forever. What does it mean that they inherit? It means that all of, once everybody who's going to go to Jannah has entered into Jannah, obviously there's going to be a whole bunch of uh, uh, empty houses. So in this world, when you have empty houses, Chinese investors buy them. In that world... <laughs> <laughs> something else happens which is that when everybody's in their maqam in Jannah and then there's all these open and empty spaces the angels will make an announcement whatever space is not claimed if you want it it's yours go stake your claim go take it and they inherit the maqamat of the people the hellfire from them in Jannah uh, 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 but those places literally exist and uh, 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 more scary is that even the people of Iman even if you have hope from Allah Ta'ala that you'll buy, die in Iman Remember, there's a place marked for you in the hellfire. And every person has the potentiality inside of them to, uh, to make it to that place. And generally the people who do are the ones who think, oh, I'll never go there. Uh, so if you have, that makes you afraid, then there's good news, inshallah. You ask for Allah's help, He'll help you to avoid it. If you don't fear Allah Ta'ala with regards to that, then, uh, 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 you know, then uh, Allah Ta'ala protect us all and help us all because that's not a good sign. باب الدعاء للميت بعد دفنه والقعود عند قبره ساعة للدعاء والاستغفار والقراءة. The chapter regarding praying for the deceased after having buried them and uh, uh, sitting at the grave for some amount of time to make dua 
and to ask Allah Ta'ala for forgiveness for them and for the recitation of the Qur'an. وعن أبي عمر وقيل أبو عبد الله وقيل أبو ليلى عثمان بن العفان رضي الله تعالى عنه قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا فرغ من دفن الميت وقف عليه فقال استغفروا لأخيكم وسلوا له التثبيت فإنه الآن يسأل رواه أبو داودة uh, Abu Amr and it said possibly Abu Abdullah or Abu Layla Uthman ibn Affan ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu the Amir al-Mu'mineen uh, uh, he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam generally when he was done with uh, uh, burying the deceased he would stand uh, over the grave uh, and he would say uh, seek forgiveness for your brother and ask Allah Ta'ala to make him firm because right now he is being questioned and he's being asked. When Amr ibn al-Asi radiallahu ta'ala anhuma anhu afwan qala idha dafantumuni faqimu hawla qabri qadra ma tunharu jazurun wa yuqsamu lahmuha hatta astanisu bikum wa a'lamu madha uraji'u bihi rusula rabbi. رواه مسلم وقد سبق بطوله قال الشافعي رحمه الله ويستحب أن يقرأ عنده شيء من القرآن وإن ختم القرآن كله كان حسنا So uh, the second narration in the same chapter is from Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu anhu He said that when you bury me uh, stand around my grave uh, uh, for an amount of time uh, equivalent to um, however long it takes to slaughter a camel and distribute its meat. So maybe 45 minutes or an hour or something like that. Uh, until uh, I feel comfortable in my grave. I don't feel uh, completely scared while I'm in my grave. Uh, and I know, uh, because I am calm enough to be able to uh, know and give cr- proper answers to the messengers of my Lord. Meaning what? Meaning the person when they enter into their grave, uh, once the people leave, uh, they will be uh, sat up and forced to answer questions by Munkar and Nakir, uh, who is your Lord, uh, and what is your deen, and what do you say about this person? And they'll be shown the Prophet ﷺ in a way that they, that, they, they know who it is. And uh, both narrations uh, indicate that what? that a person when they're uh, buried in their grave, um, A, they receive benefit from the du'as of those who make du'a for them. And this is something, uh, it's mentioned in the Aqidah Tahawiyah, that it's part of the Aqidah of the Muslims, that the, the du'as for the deceased, and the sadaqah that's given on behalf of the deceased, both of them, the deceased will benefit from them. This is part of our aqidah. Then thereafter, there's a difference of opinion amongst the ulama that does it extend to all of the other acts of piety. Can you pray, for example, and then make intention that the, the reward go to the deceased? Or can you, uh, uh, for example, read Quran and make the intention that the recitation, the reward for the recitation goes to the deceased? Those are things you can, uh, you know, in a fifth class, you can ask about, about them. My understanding is majority of the ulama, they also accept that, but some of them don't. Everyone has their own, uh, uh, has their own uh, arguments for why whatever is, isn't true. That's something you can learn about in fifth class. But this hadith, someone might say, well, isn't this a definitive proof that, uh, uh, you know, um, aren't these hadith a, a, a definitive proof that, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, reading Quran around the grave is uh, is going to be helpful, and the answer is no because first of all, the recitation of the Quran isn't mentioned uh, in either of these riwayas, and uh, uh, secondly, uh, there's a comment that's made at the end of the second one uh, by Imam Nawawi that Shafi'i rahimahullah taala he um, preferred that some part of the Quran be read uh, around the grave. And this is also a Hanafi, this is also the, the practice that's described in the Hanafi books that you should read the beginning of the uh, Surah Al-Baqarah and read the end of the Surah Al-Baqarah 
uh, at the grave as well that some Quran recitation should be made. And it's mentioned, Nawawi makes mention of the, the opinion of Shafi'i that it's even good if a person reads the entire Quran at the grave. It's an opinion of, it's an opinion of the Mujtahidun, uh, uh, um, but there's two things. One is the sawab, the, the reward of the recitation. Does it go to the deceased or not? That's one issue. The second issue is what is the effect on the, on the, on the, the deceased? They're two separate issues. So when a person goes to a, a qabr, a good thing to do at the qabr is to make dhikr or to recite the Qur'an. Why? Because wherever the recitation of the Qur'an is uh, made and wherever the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is made, uh, in the spiritual realm there's a good effect in it. So kafir may say, well, I don't feel any difference. Well, of course you wouldn't feel any difference, your heart's dead. Someone say, well, I'm not a kafir, I don't feel any difference. Well, it's because you watch TV all the time and listen to music the entire day and haven't you know, woke up for Fajr for quite a long time and you don't make wudu properly when you do and etc. etc. ad nauseum. If you, you know, went and stayed in Atikaf for the next 40 days and did things properly, I promise you, you would feel some effect. Uh, and, and that's something that we also have to check ourselves because we get into these kind of slump-like states where, where you're like, oh my God, I don't feel it anymore. The, the, the idea... The, the idea that, that, that a person doesn't quote-unquote feel it anymore, your own amal has a lot to do with that. So if you get into that state, a person should be very uh, afraid and then should do some things to pull themselves back, uh, back into that state if they fall out of it. That's why Ramadan is such an interesting time. Because the rest of the year, sometimes I see like the, the community and I see the ummah and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is not going anywhere good. And then that same person that you would have sworn last month uh, you know, Allah knows best if they if they really believe in God or not. <laughs> then you see that person like praying salat like there's no tomorrow and like you know doing all these pious things, and you're like, oh wow, okay, it's you know, this is this these things describe living hearts. They don't describe dead hearts, but there's an effect on a person, and the effect on the dead because there's no there's no uh, hijab between them and these spiritual realities. At that point, the heart doesn't isn't it can't be dead in that state. Even if a person is the kafirist kafir, uh, and they're inside of their grave, you know, like whatever, you know, I just read an article, ridiculous article, uh, the other day about some crazy woman who like moved to India and like came up with this philosophy that Hitler is like an incarnation of like the Hindu god Vishnu, and like I'm just thinking like all these different like crazy disparate like types of kufr coming together and forming this like super like. <laughs> It's like if Kufr was Transformers, and when the like five of them get together and make this huge Transformer of Kufr, uh, uh, and e- even at, even those people, even if like Fir'aun and like uh, you know Hitler and all these people are, are are you know they're they're hanging out, even then once once the veil is lifted, and they've passed from this world, they cannot help but witness the the Anwar of the Quran being recited. And it's possible that even a kafir in their punishment will feel the lightning of their punishment in the grave when somebody, a, p- a pious person, passes by and makes the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala and, and, and uh, makes the recitation of the Qur'an. Uh, so how would it be for then a person who dies on? Iman. So that's one issue. But then that doesn't mean, even if one were to accept that, that doesn't mean that the deceased is receiving the reward. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those are two... Those are two separate issues. So one can accept the first one and still have an argument against the second one. I'm not arguing in favor of either because, again, this is not a fifth class, but I am bringing it up so that people can you know, uh, keep, the, the, keep in mind that, uh, uh, that separate issues should be uh, treated separately. But the idea is this, is that uh, 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 Amr bin Asr, ta'ala anhu, he was saying that stay because I'm going to enter the grave and I haven't been there anymore and I'm afraid I'm going to freak out if you stay and you do these things like making uh, uh, istighfar, seeking Allah's uh, forgiveness for me, and you are doing these, uh, 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 making dhikr, although those things are not mentioned in his riwayah, but they are mentioned by Rasulullah wasallam. is that that's what you, you should do when you stand around the grave. Um, I feel like I'll be calm enough that I won't mess up the answers to the questions that the angels give. Now, this being said, uh, the ulama have a difference of opinion whether, whether or not it's uh, mustahab for a person to uh, stay at the grave too long after the burial. So this is an opinion also that the people should leave uh, and that, that uh, uh, the 
you know, this is also a difference of opinion with regards to what they call the talqeen. Uh, talqeen is like uh, to give instructions to the person who is buried because there's a narration uh, or a couple of narrations that uh, uh, Rasulullah wasallam, his sahaba عنهم, said that once you bury me, um, let a per- let, that I heard Rasulullah wasallam, say that when you buried somebody, um, if you say, if, you, if uh, one of their brothers stays at the grave, and says two angels will come to you and they'll ask you these three questions and this is the answer. That the angels will put, uh, Munkar and Nakir will put hand in hand and say what need do we have to question this person? They already told them the answers. And they'll leave without questioning them. Um, the Muhaddithun have a, 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 a debate between them as to whether or not these narrations are correct enough to uh, uh, make amal on. And uh, generally speaking, uh, uh, the 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 fuqaha consider these these issues like this one to be something that's la yu'maru bihi wa la yunha anhu that that it's not so solidly transmitted that a, that we should, the fuqaha should say that everyone should do this, but it's also not so baseless that the fuqaha should say like don't do it. Uh, uh, so it's a uh, uh, um, I guess a, a difference of opinion that that seems to run down the middle. But the reason, the reason I mention it is that whether a person makes amal on it or not, it's in line with, it's in line with this concept that when a person dies, that uh, people should at that time make dua for them or should make uh, 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 istighfar or dhikr for them uh, or recite Qur'an at the grave just enough so that that person uh, it dampens the, 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 the fear of this very, uh, uh, you know, very difficult experience of being questioned in the grave uh, at that time. Uh, I would prefer that uh, if someone were to do this, that the dua not be in congregation. Mm-hmm. Just because it's, uh, it's not the recorded amal, it's not the recorded practice of the Sahaba, عنهم, and generally speaking, when people do things in congregation, uh, with exception of those things that are uh, are done through the sunnah, um, there's a type of show and pretense like people wouldn't have st- st- stayed if they didn't have to. Whereas when do people do things on their own, uh, there's a modicum of sincerity in it in the sense that you actually ha- had to be sincere enough to drag yourself to do it. The fact that other people are there or not there or watching or not watching is precluded from, from, from that in, in, in some sense. Uh, uh, and your du'as are the effectiveness of your du'as are directly pegged to the sincerity with which they're made and if they're not made with sincerity then you know one might say that they're almost useless um, but you know some people some people will do that it's the custom of some people to stand in, in uh, uh, congregation and make du'as and things like that at any rate by the way if any of you go to a uh, go to a, 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 a janazah or something. These are not the, that's not the time to bring these things up. We bring these things up in class because when someone's like whatever relative and loved one is being buried and you're like, well, it's better to not do it in pub, whatever, and you just make a scene and, and, and cause taklif to the, to the living and possibly to the dead as well at that point. But uh, these are things for us to know for our, own, for our own deaths. I mean, really, honestly, all of these things like paying off debts, how you want to have the dua made at the end of your or at the end of your burial? Do you want to be buried quickly? Do you want to be cremated? What do you want to you know? What do you want to do? These are the reasons that it's it's not permissible for a person not to have a wasiya, because you uh, uh, will. One might say, well, I'm broke. I don't have any money anyway, right? Um, that's not the whole point. I mean, you actually probably do have some money, but more importantly than that is. Uh, in this country, they're not going to follow Islamic customs anyway until and unless there's a document compelling them to do so. So someone may die and uh, they may be cremated. They may die and, you know, uh, that one crazy uncle at the masjid who's like crazy, you know, will end up praying their janazah and you don't even know if they're, they're Muslim or not. And like they'll end up, like they say the craziest things. And they'll end up uh, leading your janazah or whatever. And tell them unless you leave instructions and specify to people what to do when you're, when you're gone. That's, those things, there's no guarantee they're going to happen. If you leave a wasiyah and they don't happen, it's not your problem. If you don't leave a wasiyah and they happen, assume that it's your own responsibility that whatever happens. 
who knows, a person goes, travels, dies somewhere far from their home. They send your mayyit, uh, you know, for, for, for janazah that ends up at the Qadiani place because they're whatever local Qadiani guy is like elected to uh, whatever city council position. And so he's the one who set it up that way or whatever. Allah knows best uh, what, are, what, what kind of weird things can happen. Uh, and weird things, all the t- they happen all the time. Uh, uh, they happen all the time. Uh, uh, so lest, you know, we uh, pray janazah over your ashes... Uh, uh, you know, do go ahead and write your, your, your wasiya and think about these things. And part of the benefit of writing the wasiya is that you think about these things. If you're going to think about what, what's going to happen at that time, you're also going to take a remembrance and a reminder of your death. And then uh, all of a sudden, your favorite movie doesn't seem so important anymore. And all of a sudden, you know, the car you wanted to buy doesn't seem as important anymore. All of a sudden, your favorite sports team doesn't seem as important anymore. Well, Shaykh is a haram. It's not a fit class. It's just that certain things, they have more importance and we don't give them time. And certain things, they have less importance and we give them so much time. Uh, so uh, exercises like this help us to uh, uh, bring balance again to our, uh, uh, you know, to the way that we live, live our lives. And balance, balance is a good thing. Balance is a very good thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give all of us so much tawfiq. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala rasulihi Sayyidina Muhammadan wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.